Oh, okay, welcome back to Healthspan. This is part one of Win by Dr. James, Danico Antonio, Sim Land, and Tristan Kennedy. In this episode, I talk all about hot and cold protocols for improving performance, recovery, and overall health. And hopefully by the end of this episode, I can convince you guys to start using saunas and cold therapy to improve your health span. The primary goal during competition or training or some sort of running or weightlifting is to keep the core body temperature as close to normal as possible. This allows you to continue to exercise or compete at a high level of intensity and reduce your recovery time during training. We have specific areas on our body that helps us with this task. These are the so-called glabrous skin. Mammals, including humans, have circumvented this problem of overheating by not only sweating out, but also having special areas on our skin called glabrous skin that contain high concentrations of these special blood vessels called arterial venous anastomoses or AVAs. Arterio is artery, venous is just veins, and anastomosis is connection. So it's the connection between arteries and veins. And in humans, they are found in specific areas like the palms of our hands, the bottoms of the feet, and also the face and the ears. These AVAs have large diameters, which allows for the passage of large amounts of blood so that they can dump massive amounts of heat from the inner body organs to the outside environment. These AVAs bypass the capillaries and deliver blood directly from small arteries into low resistance veins, as I just mentioned, and this allows for the quick dissipation of heat. AVAs have a very large diameter and a thick mucosal wall or muscular wall, and they get input from the hypothalamus as they are densely innervated by adrenergic axons. So our hypothalamus really sets our core body temperature through release of you know, certain neurochemicals. And as a result, these AVAs dilate when body temperature increases and contract when, blood, when body temperature decreases outside the thermal neutral zone. Thus, the glabrous skin is the main thermoregulator of the body. Studies have shown that glabrous skin cooling is about twice as effective at reducing body temperature compared to traditional cooling like cooling off the neck, the groin, and the axilla. Indeed, one study had 10 healthy adult men walk on a treadmill in a heated room about 40 degrees Celsius while wearing insulated military overgarments until their esophageal temperature reached 39.2. The drop in temperature with traditional body cooling was only about 0.17 degrees Celsius, whereas with glabrous skin cooling, it was about 0.30 degrees Celsius. So we see the glabrous skin cooling has more beneficial effects in lowering our temperature overall compared to this traditional cooling. So what are some other benefits of these pre-exercise cooling? Well, decrease in rise in core body temperature, lower sweat rate and risk of dehydration, reduced loss of electrolytes in the sweat, reduced perception of fatigue, better maintenance of plasma volume, increased oxygen uptake by muscle, increased exercise duration, increased power output, and it also spares muscle glycogen depletion. And I will explain some more of these in just a little while and go into the mechanism of how, how this exactly works. But for now, what are some stuff you can do to help really cool the body? Well, how can, so how can you cool the body? Well, first off, cool off the face. Remember, there's glabrous skin on the face. So take off any type of headgear 
during breaks, in between sets, or between rounds or intervals. You can place a cold ice pack or cold frozen can on the forehead and cheeks. You can also spray some water on your face. So just before you go back to exercising, take a spray bottle that is filled with some cold tap water, close your eyes, and go ahead and spray it in your face a couple times before you do any sets or reps. You can also cool off the bottom of the feet. Remember, glabrous skin is also located on the bottom of the feet. So place your feet in cold water and during you know breaks or in between rounds. And you can also cool off the palms of your hands. So hold an ice pack or some, some frozen can or something for about 10 seconds on and then 10 seconds off. And nowadays we all have these cool like fancy devices like the Palmar cooling method that really help us, you know, these mittens that help us cool off. But for now, these are some quick, you know, biohacks, quote unquote biohacks that you can do to give yourself a better you know, exercise performance. And in the 1960s, experiments on humans at rest showed that our cardiac output increases by more than twofold from six to 14 liters in a hot environment. However, this increased blood flow didn't go to the internal organs and skeletal muscle where it should be going, but instead the blood was actually pushed to the forearm and skin to really dissipate the heat. Thus, the cooling off the body will reduce skin blood flow and increase blood flow to working muscles, improving performance. Now, additionally, there is an enzyme called pyruvate kinase, which is the last enzyme needed in glycolysis that helps convert uh, PEP to pyruvate. And we know that pyruvate kinase, this enzyme, is very temperature sensitive. It is actively, its activity is rapidly dropped off as the core body temperature increases above 38 degrees Celsius. So we make less energy and our pyruvate kinase and our glycolysis is working less if we're in this heat environment. Now, what are some negatives of cold exposure on exercise performance and adaptations? Do we really necessarily want to jump into a cold tub or really take a cold shower after we do some sort of resist resistance training or aerobic exercise? And it has been found that cold water immersion after resistance training can actually attenuate the anabolic hypertrophy signal in muscle. Here is exactly how this happens. During resistance training, the muscle fibers get damaged, which is one of the main triggers for hypertrophy. So when we go to the gym, we know we're damaging our muscle fibers and we're breaking them down. That damage gets repaired during recovery with the elevation of muscle protein synthesis and other pro-growth pathways in our body like mTOR. Our repairing of muscle and this breakdown also causes a rise in inflammation and increases the activity of satellite cells, which are used for you know, muscle hypertrophy and repair. And cold water immersion for 10 minutes within 5 minutes after resistance training at a temperature of 10 degrees Celsius suppresses the activity of mTOR and satellite cells, reducing muscle strength and strength gains. This was shown by a few authors like Roberts et al. in the Journal of Physiology. Cold water immersion also blunts the rise in testosterone and inflammatory cytokines after a bout of resistance training. Post-exercise cooling also impairs muscle protein synthesis. Now, metabolic stress or the accumulation of waste products like lactate, phosphate, creatine, hydrogen ions, and others, they're not essential for muscle growth, but they can still promote cell swelling and hypertrophy. Now, clearing them out with cold exposure immediately post-training 
would lower the signal for an anabolic environment. Again, cold water is clearing out some of these metabolites. And hypoxia, or this state of you know, low energy, also contributes to muscle hypertrophy by increasing lactate accumulation. This has been shown to raise growth hormone by 290% and attenuate atrophy in patients with, who are like bedbound. Hypoxia generates low-grade reactive oxygen species, which is a part of the hypertrophy response after resistance training. Now, the body builds more muscle and becomes stronger because the inflammatory signal and exercise-induced damage is a trigger for adaptation, without which no change would occur. And cold water response really dampens these signals. Now, something else. Cold water immersion reduces muscle blood flow at rest and post-exercise. But muscle protein synthesis requires adequate blood supply, and blood flow is also needed for supplying the muscle with nutrients like amino acids that will be used for repair and de novo protein synthesis. Thus, just to summarize, cold exposure after resistance training may have negative effects on adaptation required for building muscle and strength by suppressing the pro-inflammatory hypertrophy signals, inhibits pro-growth pathways and satellite cells, and also reduces the supply of muscle repairing nutrients. If cold therapy is indeed needed to in engage in some you know, physical competition or intense you know, training the following day, then it would still be better to kind of wait at least three hours before engaging in any cold water immersion. So instead of just immediately hopping in a cold shower or a cold plunge right, you know, right after you finish exercising, just give about three hours wait to really help the initial adaptations and recovery process to, to really set in. Now, how about aerobic training? So for the most part, these past couple of minutes, I've been talking about building muscle and resistance training. Well, a 2021 systemic review and meta-analysis concluded that regular use of cold water immersion has deleterious effects on resistance training adaptations, but does not appear to affect aerobic performance. So let's say endurance athletes, long distance running. This is probably because it doesn't really require the same pro-anabolic pathways for adaptation to occur. And in fact, some reports indicate cold exposure may actually enhance aerobic performance by increasing the expression of certain endurance regulatory proteins, mainly like PGC1-alpha and also AMP kinase and also P38 MAP kinase. And all these enzymes really help in the mitochondrial function and making you know more uh, more mitochondria this is the you know pgc1 alpha this this kind of main regulatory uh, transcription factor here now again if you're going to do athletic performance you know these long these long sort of runs then go ahead go ahead and jump in a in a you know cold water immersion if you want to directly after so up up to this point i've talked about cold exposure and why you shouldn't necessarily jump in the cold you know, bathtub directly after resistance training. But how about heat exposure? So from here on out, I'll be discussing the importance of heat exposure. So heat exposure and you know, sitting in a sauna is a type of hormesis. Hormesis is the idea that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger or what doesn't kill you makes you live longer. And hormesis is this really dose-specific response to a stressor or toxin. In small and moderate amounts, it will make your body stronger and more adaptable, whereas in excess, it will be maladaptive and potentially harmful. So this sort of cutoff here, if you can think of uh, 
the amount of stress on the x-axis and the amount of benefit on the y-axis, you can see that hormesis from whatever has a positive effect for the first you know, couple um, times, but then it kind of diminishes. You have these diminishing returns of the effect of hormesis. And, uh, you know, where am I going with this heat accumulation? So let me jump forward and I'll discuss the more like, you know, let's look at the effects of hyper, uh, hyperthermia on the cardiovascular system, our muscle and also our insulin sensitivity. So sauna use has been shown to improve cardiovascular function and lower the risk of heart disease. Individuals going into the sauna greater than four times a week compared to just once a week, may see a 63% reduction in the risk of cardi cardiac death, 50% decreased risk of dying to cardiovascular disease, and a 40% drop in all-cause mortality. Saunas also improve blood circulation and blood flow to skeletal muscle, which can increase the efficiency of oxygen transports to muscle. So sauna therapy can increase nitric oxide, improve vasodilation and microvascular function, and also lower oxidative stress. So treating hypertensive animals with sauna therapy actually improve their left ventricular hypertrophy, fibrosis, and capillary density, and also some of these surrogate uh, markers of disease. Now, heat shock proteins, which I'll talk about in just a second, one of them specifically, HSP20, Phosphorylation promotes smooth muscle relaxation and has an important role in cardiac myocyte function and skeletal muscle insulin response. When we simply just sit in the sauna, we know hyper hyperthermia increases the expression of glute transporters like GLUT4. This helps clear the bloodstream from glucose and take it directly up into you know, our muscle for muscle glycogen stores. And there was another study that showed that just 30 minutes of hyperthermic conditioning three times a week for 12 weeks had been shown to reduce insulin and blood glucose levels by 31%. This was a study by Kokura et al. in the International Journal of Hyperthermia. In patients with lifestyle-related diseases, two-week sauna therapy led to significant improvement in body weight, body fat, systolic blood pressure, diastolic blood pressure, fasting glucose, and flow-mediated dilation. Again, what's the summary here? We have a huge cardiovascular benefits. Rhonda Patrick talks about it all the time. Just sitting in a sauna gives you the same cardiovascular benefits as aerobic exercise. Now, back to the heat shock protein. Heat accumulation also increases the release of heat shock proteins, which prevent the breakdown of protein, repair misfolded or damaged proteins, and also help to maintain you know, glutathione levels. So heat shock proteins, they are a family of proteins that have a wide variety of functions in our body. One of the main functions is acting as a chaperone. So these proteins actually help in the stabilization of new proteins and also helps transport, you know, proteins across the cell membrane within a cell. Heat shock proteins also have this monitoring effect where they are able to carry proteins to the proteasome, which is where the, you know, this sort of organelle in our cell that has, helps us degrade our proteins. And we know accumulation of proteins and this loss of proteostasis is a hallmark of aging. And it's also been shown to be a sort of, uh, you know, implicated in a lot of these neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's 
and like uh, Parkinson's as well. So this can help, you know, this activation of heat shock proteins helps reduce the amount of protein degradation during exercise at rest and also helps us to really maintain a positive nitrogen balance, resulting in a greater muscle hypertrophy and strength. And there was a study that a 30-minute intermittent hyperthermic treatment at 41 degrees Celsius, which is about 105.8 degrees Fahrenheit, in rats, increased the expression of numerous heat shock proteins in muscle and correlates with 30% more muscle regrowth compared to a control group during the seven days after they had been immobilized for a week. So I talked about how you know, sitting in a sauna really helps to promote blood flow to skeletal muscle. This is why it's really good to, you know, sit in the sauna after you exercise. And if you can't exercise, just hopping in the sauna really helps prevent again against a lot of this, you know, muscle atrophy that's going to be going on when you're, when you are bed bound or, you know, your broken leg and you just can't exercise. Sitting in a sauna helps with this, you know, prevention of this muscle atrophy and also increases muscle regrowth after immobilization, which has been shown in, you know, multiple studies. And, and as I mentioned, post-workout sauna use actually enhances the, you know, trading adaptations by increasing blood flow to the muscles and also raises other pro like growth factors. And it's been shown that heat stress releases, you know, a significant amount of growth hormone as well, which inhibits protein breakdown and supports, you know, muscle recovery. And there's a study that he mentions here that Two 20-minute sauna sessions at 176 degrees separated by a 30-minute cooling period can raise growth hormone by twofold over the baseline. And in one of the podcasts by Andrew Huberman, who I saw speak you know, a couple weeks ago at the, at the Wiltern in Los Angeles, he mentioned another study on growth hormone and talked about how you know, there was a study, it was a one-week study with both male and female you know, participants, and they sat in a sauna that was 176 degrees for 30 minutes, four times a day. So two hours total, they sat in the sauna. And in subjects that did this, they saw a 16-fold increase in growth hormone, which is absolutely ridiculous. So you want that boost in growth hormone, you can go ahead and, you know, sit in a sauna. You'll see that for sure. Uh, So just to move forward a little bit more, Uh, We know saunas are really beneficial for our immunity. So one study found that sauna bathing among 2,000 men reduced respiratory disease by 27% and, you know, 41% respectively in subjects who had either two to three or more than four sauna sessions a week compared to those who did, you know, less than once a week. And we know we don't really want to be heat adapted, so we we don't want to get you know, we, we don't want those diminishing returns. We want to get the optimal dose. So the dose really, you know, makes the poison here. Based on studies, the optimal frequency of using a traditional sauna is between 15 to 30 minute sessions at 156 to 212 degrees Fahrenheit, two to four times a week. So let me, let me repeat that one more time. 15 to 30 minutes, four t- two to four times a week at a temperature between 156 and 212 degrees Fahrenheit. Going higher than that will increase heat intolerance and also may cause some other side effects like dehydration and you know excessive loss of electrolytes and also you know overheating and muscle cramps as well. 
So we want to get that optimal dose. We want to get that hormetic response. And hopefully by now I convince you that the benefits of sitting in a sauna have effects on multiple organs, our brain, our muscle, our heart, multiple organs throughout our body. So I'm going to end the podcast here. This is just one chapter of when this whole book is filled with good tips and tricks about how to, you know, increase our recovery, our athletic performance. And uh, tune in next week for another episode of, of Win by Dr. James DiNicolo Antonio. Thanks for listening.